Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're talking about aligning ourselves with the will of God. There's no better place to be in life than in the will of God. But what is the will of God for our lives? Well, some things that we've uh, noted. And just a quick review of some of the things we've already spoken. This is lesson number four. The first thing is to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that. This is the will of God. He will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what he wills for everybody's life. So if you are saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth, then you're in the will of God. Secondly, to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power, Acts 1.8. That's his will for every child of God. We should receive the Holy Spirit, John 7.37-39. So if you're also filled with the Holy Ghost, praise God, and power, then you're in the will of God for your life. The third thing is that we maintain a spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5, 17 through 20, he said, this is the will of God. Be not drunk with wine, words in excess, but be being filled with the spirit. In other words, maintain a spirit-filled life. So this is the will of God. So number four, we said we should be baptized in water. And if you haven't been baptized in water, then you should be baptized in water. Why is that important? Because every move you make toward God He'll make a move towards you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So that's pretty easy, so simple so far. Get saved, start studying your Bible, come to the knowledge of the truth, get filled with the Holy Ghost, maintain a spirit-filled life, get baptized in water. You see you're walking in the will of God for your life. And then the next one is our sanctification. And we saw that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It talked about that the sanctification of our souls is important to us. It's important to him as well. He said we are to possess our body in sanctification and honor, and this is the will of God in Christ concerning us. So here we have another revelation of the will of God. And we've kind of rested on that for a while. We just share a little bit more here this morning about that as we continue our study. Why? Because our sanctification is very important. Sanctification is twofold, and we shouldn't confuse them. In Christ, you're sanctified, set apart, apart by the blood of Jesus. Set apart completely by the blood of Jesus. So positionally speaking, you and I are completely holy before the throne of God. Faultless, blameless. Aren't you glad for that? Secondly, we have this man on the outside. The one you're sitting on that pew with right now. And that man on the outside sometimes rebels. Does yours rebel at all? Ever? Does it give you some fits sometimes once in a while? Sometimes you do the things you don't want to do and don't do the things that you should do. Ever been down that road before? Mm-hmm. This man on the outside also needs to be set apart and sanctified, that we possess our bodies, he told us, in sanctification and honor, for this is the will of Christ, of God in Christ concerning you. So every single one of us has to deal with our flesh. And Paul the Apostle, who we believe was a pretty holy man, 
said he's got to beat up his body every single day. We should set a pair of boxing gloves next to our bed when we get up in the morning and say, all right, let's have at it. It's time to fight. Let's go. Right? I mean, there's a warfare taking place. And what's the warfare? The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And guess who's in the middle of all that? No, not your wife. Guess who's in the middle of all that? It's what's between our ears here. This soul of ours, right? Mind, will, intellect, and emotions, right? Whichever way we lean, lean not toward reasoning, but lean toward God with all your heart. And so it depends on how we're going to lean. If we lean to the one side that promotes the flesh, we'll be dominated by the flesh. But if we lean toward God and we believe him with all of our heart, then what happens? We'll walk in the spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So let's read these verses here in 1 Thessalonians that led up to verse 23 that talks about being completely sanctified. Let's see what they say. Now we exhort you, brethren. Here's what he says. Now notice some, some of the things here. Warn them that are unruly. You know anybody that's unruly? Are you unruly? Are we sometimes unruly? Warn them that are unruly. Don't be unruly. Number two, comfort the feeble-minded. You know, sometimes that's all you can do. Uh, some people have uh, situations, some, who knows, for what reason. But they just can't see it. They just can't hear it. They just can't get it. What are we supposed to do with those people? Comfort them. Comfort them. He goes on to say, support the weak. Someone that might be weak in certain areas of their lives, what are we supposed to do? Support them. Be patient toward all men. Now, I know we all have that down pat, right? We're patient with everybody, right? Okay. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Oh, come on. That's against human nature. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the Old Testament. Don't render evil for evil. Well, they wronged me. I'm going to wrong them back. That's not agape love, is it? That's not walking in divine love, is it? We're not saying that it's an easy thing to do. We need to be empowered by the Spirit to do it, which is why Paul said he's got to beat up his flesh every single day because his flesh does not want to do the right thing. And he knows it. But ever follow that which is good. So whatever is good, what are we supposed to do? Follow it. Both among yourselves and to all men. Notice this next one. Rejoice evermore. Paul when he wrote the, the book of Philippians, was in prison, in jail, and that was called the most joyful writing that he ever wrote. Can you imagine being in an innermost prison in jail, and here you are writing this joyful book? He said in that same book, I've learned to be independent of my circumstances. My circumstances don't control my life. I'm controlled by God. He controls my life. His word controls my life. His spirit controls my life. And so when my flesh wants to be, let's say, sad, overwhelmed, etc., etc., he says, just rejoice. You know, what that shows us is this, that it's not about feelings and emotions. It's about facts. If you've got joy in you, it's unspeakable and full of glory. The joy that you have didn't come from the world. And we sing the song all the time that the joy we have didn't come from the world and the world can't take it away unless we forfeit it. Unless we play into it, unless we give up. Now, our joy comes from within. 
And our joy is the strength of our lives. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so it's, it's foreign to us. It's unnatural to us for us to say, I rejoice when I'm going through a difficult time. But James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith works what? Patience. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be what? Perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, it's, it's the mark of spiritual growth and development, spiritual maturity. And so even though it cro runs cross grain with us, we're supposed to rejoice and be glad, not for the situation, but in the situation as we'll see as we go on. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then he goes on and adds a few more things. Look at the next verse. Quench not the spirit. I don't believe we quenched the spirit this morning, do you? We gave him opportunity to move here among us. Despise not prophesying. And why did he say that? Because people were abusing the gift of prophecy. And because they were abusing it and misusing it, people started to despise it. We're not supposed to be led by prophecy. We're led by the Spirit of God. We're led by the Word of God. And thank God for prophecy. But prophecy must line up with the Word of God, right? So he said, don't despise prophecy. It's good. Prove all things. Prove it out to be true. And we'll see that in just a second here. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord. So you see, he's talking about spiritual maturity, spiritual development. He's talking about cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so that's what this is all about. Aligning ourselves with the will of God that is what? My sanctification, your sanctification. And listen, I know I've, I've been beating on this for quite some time now. This extreme grace teaching does not lend itself to that. It just doesn't. Make every effort to do what? To live a holy, godly life before the Lord. And when you hear, your sins are already forgiven, past, present, and future. No, they're provided for past, present, and future. They're provided for. And when we miss the mark, we know it because we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what are we supposed to do? Confess it. Ask for God to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it's important that we recognize this is the straight and narrow. We're not the legalists and we're not the libertarians. We're walking down the straight and narrow that says this is what God wants for our lives. And so you know what? If we were working on ourselves every single day, we wouldn't know a fault anybody else has in the world. Did you know that? <laughs> if you were working on yourself every day of your life, you wouldn't see the faults and the failures of other people. You'd be so busy with yourself. Just like I'd be so busy with myself. But as we continue our study, we'll go to something else. But notice this is all about sanctification. So it is the will of God that we live sanctified lives, that we continue to what do what? Keep this body under, keep this flesh under our conduct, our character, our behavior, our speech, etc., etc. And we're supposed to make every effort to do so. That's not works. You've been saved by grace through faith. And what does faith teach us? We've been Save for good works, not by good works. Okay, so let's move on. Aligning ourselves with the will of God includes supporting the uh, work of God on the earth financially. And you know, how many of you know that I, I never make appeals for money? What about the rest of you? Didn't you, didn't you hear that yet? 
I just don't believe in it. I believe if God is in it, then he should support it. Right? I don't have to twist someone's arm. I remember going to a meeting one time where it was 45 minutes to take up the offering. I could have preached a double message by that time. I would have been on high speed doing it, but I would have done it. 45 minutes to get someone to give. I was at another meeting where, guess what? When they gave, they counted. Somebody, someone was a quick counter, counted it and says, we didn't get enough. They had a double, another offering to say, we didn't get enough. I'm like, really? You ever hear of that one? Mm. And then, I know you can give this. I know, you know what? I'm not the Holy Ghost. You have the Holy Ghost. And what he tells you to give, you give. That's it. And God will bless you. Look at this in Malachi. And I'll show you why in a minute. Chapter 3, look at verse 8. This is a good one. Look at the question. Will a man, that includes a woman, rob God? What kind of a question is that? Will a man rob God? Hmm. Let me put it this way. If you knew that Jehovah lived at 777 Golden Street Avenue, almost West Virginia, uh, almost West Virginia. What's the zip code there? Three, four, whatever, whatever. Would you go over his house and rob him? Would anybody go over his house and rob him? Almost heaven, West Virginia. Where'd that come from? We won't even get into that. John Denver. Was he speaking about Virginia or Western Virginia or West Virginia? All we know is this. He sang the song when they dedicated the football stadium at the 50-yard line, Almost Heaven, West Virginia. But when he talked about the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Shenandoah Valley, that's all in Virginia. Mostly. 99% of it, right? So, would you rob God if you knew his address in Almost Heaven, West Virginia? Would you go over there and try to steal what he has in his house? What's your answer? No, you wouldn't do that. Well, yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me even this whole nation. He goes from a man to a nation. Do you notice that? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there would, shall not be enough room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Who said it? Well, if he says that, do you think he's God enough to stand behind it and make it good? Mm-hmm. I think so. Well, what's he saying then? He takes our giving to support his work seriously. As a matter of fact, if we don't support his work, he says, you're robbing me. I think enough is said just by saying that. So how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, he says. Bring it to my house. In other words, if you consider my house, I'll take care of your house, is the way he says it. 
Now, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he taught a lot about supporting the work of God. Look in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, 19 through 21. Lay not, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here it is. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, our giving locates our heart and lets him know that if he has our treasures, then he has our heart. So he's trying to communicate to the people here that, look, everything you have, all that you possess has come from God. He owns the silver, the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs to him. And he says, all I'm asking that you do is give back to me in your tithes and offerings and provide meat for my house. And if you'll do that, I'll see to it that you're blessed beyond measure because he's capable of doing so. So the decision is up to the individual to determine whether or not he or she wants to honor God with their substance and their increase. Look in Luke's gospel. Here, once again, Jesus is teaching. If you're, this is from the Living Translation, if you are faithful in little things, little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what's he saying to us? What's Jesus trying to communicate? Small things, we need to be faithful when it comes to small things. Now, whether that's finances, maybe not alone finances, but small things like, let's say, going to church. Small things like praying for people. Reading your Bible, small things, maybe helping somebody along the way, the path of life, small things, just a witness to somebody once in a while. If you're faithful in small things, he can trust us with bigger things. If we're faithful with our financial resources, he says, then I can trust you with the riches of heaven. And if you're faithful to have help another man succeed, and that's a biggie here. If you're faithful to help someone else succeed, then he knows you're trustworthy. And every single one of us should understand that. He's talking about we're helping him succeed. Every time, uh, not almost every, maybe every time, almost every time when Andrew and I pray, whether it's on the way to work in the morning or going to bed at night, he'll pray and he'll just say, Jesus, I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. And I'm thinking, what a nice way to say it. In other words, Jesus, not I'm asking you to help me. I'm here to help you. I want to get as many people into heaven as I possibly can. And that's why I'm here. And so we're helping him succeed. We're helping the kingdom of God to be advanced in the earth. We're helping people to come into Christ. And so whether or not you have a business or something like that, someone else comes along to help you succeed, you'll be rewarded for that. If you help someone else succeed in their business or whatever endeavor, God will bless you for that. 
So in other words, what he's trying to do is he's trying to gnaw away at selfishness in the life of a believer. We're either people pleasers, self pleasers, or God pleasers. God wants us to be God pleasers and not people pleasers or self pleasers. And so if we please him, like Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. What a statement Jesus made. Can you imagine if we could all echo that same statement? I've always done what pleases you, Lord. Wouldn't that be great? Not just myself. Okay. So our giving releases God's provision. Look at verses 10 and 11 again from the New Living Translation. Our giving releases God's provision. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Can you imagine getting God on your bugs? On your insects? Can you imagine if he's pursuing them and say, uh-uh, mm-mm. You know when they trekked through the wilderness, you know why they didn't get bitten by serpents a lot earlier? Because God was protecting them from the serpents. That's why. But the moment they rebelled against God, rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and they got arrogant and prideful and all that, he goes, okay, you don't want my protection? All right. And so what happens? They start dying by the serpent's bite. Correct? You see, if you don't have that visual, you can't see it. How many times has he protected us from accidents, injuries, etc., etc.? Why? Because we were under his grace and had a protection. Do we want that? Absolutely. Well, then he says, look, if you'll just make a covenant with me that you'll provide for my work on the earth, meet for my house, I'll see to it that you succeed in whatever it is you set your hand to do. So if we provide for his house, he'll provide for our, our house. My testimony is probably the best one I can give to you because I know it best. When I first got saved, I thought my family went off the deep end. My father, my brother. We came from a background that didn't, believe, didn't teach about being born again. So I had no knowledge of it. Didn't teach the Bible to us. Didn't encourage us to study the Bible. And so as a result, I didn't know what the Bible taught about a lot of different things. When my brother said he got born again, I thought he lost his mind. My father left the church and he went to another church and he said the same thing. I thought he lost his mind. Then I knew my brother lost his mind when he said, Bill, I just want you to know I've started tithing, giving 10% to the work of God. I knew for sure he lost his mind. I knew he, he went off the deep end. Thought he was crazy. Well, guess what? I got saved. When I got saved, I found out I was the crazy one, not them. Because, see, when I got saved, I had this deep conviction within my soul to walk with God, to serve God, to know God, to obey God, to do whatever God would have me to do. And then I read this Malachi here. I saw what it said, and I said, well, Lord, that's me. I want to give the support your work. But I've got a story to tell you. What's the story I had to tell him? I worked in the mill, had a good job as a mill crane operator. You know, back then in 1974 through 1978, if you made fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year at that time, that was pretty good money. Some graduates from college weren't making that kind of money, but we worked overtime in the mill and all that, taking in some pretty good money. So, um, but along with the money, I had two cars, car payment, mortgage payment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I bought my house for, my first house for $10,000 
And at that time, I didn't have a job in the mill. I was just teaching guitar, not making much money at all. And guess what? My mortgage was a whopping $82 a month. And I thought, how in the world am I going to make this payment? I was only 20, 21 at the time. When I bought the house, had a family, you know, and all that, then I started realizing you've got to pay not just the house mortgage, you've got to pay the gas, the electric, the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, I better get another gig. You know what a gig is? You play in a band and you go make some extra money on the weekend so you can pay for all this, right? So, uh, well, then I got saved. When I got saved, you see, I had moved from Youngstown over to Mineral Ridge, Ohio. And it came to pass that this $10,000 house, I had profited $6,000. So by the time I moved, I made, it was $16,000. And I bought a brand new house for the whopping price of $34,900. Wouldn't you love to buy a brand new house and a brand new development for $34,900? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a step up, right? So I'm living in this house and I just get saved. A brand new development. Had to put in a sub pump because it was leaking water all through the garage and all that. But anyhow, it was brand new development, brand new house. No one ever lived in it. And I was enjoying life. Till I got saved. Then when I got saved and saw that the Lord wants me to give of my tithes and offerings, I said, Lord, I can't do that on my budget right now because you see I'm I'm all tied up with this this insurances and blah 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 but I want to I want to obey you so I said I got it I called a realtor up and said would you come over my house I want to sell it they came over my house and said this is a brand new house a brand new is something wrong with the house you just bought it and I said I know I just bought it well, she said, can I inquire then as to why you want to sell this house when you just bought it and it's in a beautiful home and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, yeah, if you don't mind, I just got saved and I'm going to give my tithes to the Lord. She looked at me. She goes, I'm a Baptist and I've been in this business for a long time. I've never heard anybody say they want to sell their house to pay their tithes. You serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. What's a house? I want to honor God with my life. I want to give to him what's, what belongs to him. That's what I want to do. Would you mind putting it on the market? Not at all. I had to go to work, 311. That shift, my shift was 311. This was in the morning. She uh, signed the papers. We all signed the papers. I came home from work 11 o'clock that night. And I said, what's going on? She said, nothing. We just sold the house, though. I said, what? I said, we just signed it this morning. She said, yeah, I know. It sold. It sold. 34.9. Didn't ask to come down a penny. Whatever. We, it, um, we might have made a few thousand. Trying to, we've sold it for more than we've made. A little bit. So I'm thinking, this is great. Now, where am I going to live? <laughs> where, where am I going to go? So, of course, you start house hunting. So I'm driving through Youngstown, all the streets of Youngstown. There's a certain section, you know, where there's some beautiful homes and so, uh, like a boulevard and all that, beautiful trees down the middle, brick homes on this side, that side, and all that, you know. And I just said, "Boy, this is where I've always wanted to live here. This is really nice." I said, "But certainly, these are more than what I just sold mine for." And they, there were a lot of beautiful homes there. And I saw a for sale sign in this one yard. 
I said, oh, that's a beautiful brick home, a beautiful front porch, a nice fireplace, big living room, and it set a double car garage in the back. I mean, the whole thing was beautiful. And I thought, there's no way you know, I can afford this after what I just had to pay, you know, had to sell my house for. So I call them up. You know what they say? The people have moved. They're living somewhere else. They need to get rid of this house. Make them an offer. So I made him an offer for $10,000 less than what I sold my house for. Called him up and said, this is my offer. They said, they took it. They took it. So I went from this house to another house, this house that was absolutely beautiful um, for less money, which when it all played out, I was able to pay my tithes to the Lord. But it was a nicer house, nicer development, uh, a brick house and all that. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. It's really wonderful. So when you start walking with God, obeying God, doing what God tells you to do, you see, he starts to bless you and open up avenues and highways and all that sort of thing for you to be blessed. He rebukes the fire for your sake. And, you know, he sees to it that he causes men to give in your bosom. He just all those different things. And so I was only there for a few months. And he said, go to Ramah. I said, What? You want me to go to Ramah? I want you to go to Ramah. I just bought this. I just sold this house to buy this house. I bought this house. I've only been there for a couple of months. And you want me to leave here and go to Tulsa, Oklahoma? Uh-huh. I didn't even get finished the painting done. Some things I wanted to paint some rooms in the house. But I said, of course, you know how you kind of plea bargain with God? Anybody here ever plea bargain with God? Well, if you really want me to go to Ramah, then this house, you're going to have to sell it. As if that would be difficult, right? <laughs> you are going to have to sell this house. I put it on him. You really want me to go? Okay, sell the house. Long story short, I put on, set all my paperwork in and all that, but anyhow, he had to sell the house. Stink bugs. Anybody know how to deal with them? <laughs> anyhow, so I call a real estate company, tell them to come over. What do you do? I'm going to sell my house. You just bought the house. I know I just bought the house. That's all I do is buy houses and sell them. Just keep them for a couple months. That's just, you know. So they said, okay, we're having our whole team come over to look at this house and we'll put it on the market for you. Okay, great. I go to work. Team comes over. I go to work, come back home. Called, they, they called me up the next day. They said, just want you to know the house is sold. I said, there's not even a sign up in the front yard yet. What do you mean it's sold? Yeah, one of our guys on our team bought it. Really? Yes, really. Now I'm in a pickle. Because I'm supposed to leave. That's in the spring. I'm supposed to leave in the fall, August, actually summer, late summer, August, to go to Oklahoma. I don't have a place to live again. No place to live. As if you could outdo God. So I get an apartment. Have to get an apartment to do what? To downsize everything. I'm going to downsize now because I'm leaving here. I'm going to go to Oklahoma. I got to put some stuff in storage, get some stuff that I'm going to take with me and all that. And so as the story goes, here I am. 
I can give you so much more along the way that it's absolutely incredible. You know my story of selling the Theodore organ? Mm -hmm. You know, he was orchestrating all that from the first moment, the moment I even called and asked a ruler to come out over my house and sell the house, the first one. He was already orchestrating all that. I'm downsizing. I'm going to move in this little apartment. I'm going to put all the stuff in storage. I'm going to sell my guitar that I love so much, an amplifier, but it's a Fender Twin Reverb amplifier. I'm going to sell it back to the books, to the um, to the music store and all that. I'm going to make some extra money, sell, put in my insurance policies and all that. And then I'm just going to up and leave and go to Tulsa after the whole summer, at the end of the summer, in an apartment. And so when I turn all that stuff in, sell all that stuff, he says to me, as I'm walking out the store, buy that theater organ. Do you know the size of a guitar is compared to a theater organ? Theater organ. Not these little organs here. Theater organ. Humongous thing. And I said, why? Buy it. I buy the theater organ. It won't even fit in the apartment building. I got to get it in the hallway in the apartment thing. I'm thinking, I'm downsizing, Lord. I'm not upsizing. I'm downsizing. I got to go to Tulsa. I don't want to drag this organ. Nobody plays the organ. I don't know how to play the organ. Buy the organ. Okay. I buy the organ. Take it to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's there the whole time I'm there. Not one. It wasn't played at all, ever. Not at all. So there I am. Child was born. Doc, had a hospital bill. St. John's Hospital, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Gave up all my uh, insurance and in, in, in hospitalization when I left my job to go down there. Now there I am down there. I'm spending everything that I have because I went from a good paying job to I'm working for minimum wage and I'm part time. And I said to the Lord, Lord, this is not me. I pay my bills. I want to pay my bills. I'm not leaving Tulsa, Oklahoma because you told me to leave. And I got this hospital bill because the baby that was born here. So what am I going to do now? Don't you just love it? You think, you think you can confuse God. Know what he said? Sell the organ. You had me buy it in Youngstown to take it to Tulsa. Yeah, because you would have spent all your money on everything that you needed at the time, but this was just like a savings for you. So I get called a penny saver. Now, if you ever seen a penny saver around here, they, they, you know, you, push your, you advertise all that stuff in. Um, it wasn't like today with online and all that stuff. You could, that thing was so thick, it was unbelievable. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of advertisements about buying this and buying that and all that. And so there I am, put it in. First day is in, I go, oh, there it is. There it is. Our, our ad went in the paper. That evening, phone call. This lady comes over to the house, this elderly lady, probably my age right now, but anyhow. <laughs> More seasoned individual comes over to the house, and she says, I'd like to see that third organ that you have. And I said, oh, sure. So she comes in, she looks at it, looks at it, looks at it. She just hits it, makes sure it works. And I said, well, do you play? She goes, no, I don't play. I said, oh, okay. But I want it. I said, why do you want it? I'm buying it for my granddaughter. Granddaughter. I said, oh, the, is she taking a lot of lessons? No, no, she just started playing. I said, she just started playing and you're buying her. I'm almost talking her out of this big theater organ. 
you want to buy this big theater organ for her and she's not even had about a few lessons? He said, yeah, I just want to make sure she has something nice to play. I said, okay. How much do you want for it? I told her exactly what it was. The exact amount to pay for the hospital bill. Exact. Sold the organ. Took the money over to the hospital. Paid the bill. Isn't it fun to walk with God? No wonder it says, lean not to your own understanding. I would have never done that in the natural. Would you have done something like that? Absolutely not. You don't do something like that. What do I need to lug that thing down there for? But you see, God had more insight than what I had. The point is, when we honor God, praise God, then he will honor us. Remember 1 Kings 17, the woman, uh, the, shoot, the, um, the woman of Zarephath that provided Elijah for Elijah? And what was it? What are you going to do with this? Do you have anything to give us to eat or drink? And, and she says, all I'm going to do is I get a little bit of a meal, just, just a little bit of flour or whatever, and I'm going to make a little cake for my son and, and I, and we're going to die. He said, oh, don't do that. Make something for me to eat. Really? Not my son? Yeah, he's the prophet of God. Make something for him first. She said, okay. So she makes him something to eat, makes him a cake, gives him something to drink. Now what am I going to do? She said, well, just go ahead and live. Use all your flour and stuff. It won't fail till the drought's over. Can you imagine? It just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. Wouldn't that be great today? Wouldn't that be great today if you just keep pouring your milk and it just keeps on pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring? Wouldn't that be great if you just fill up your gas tank and it just keeps on staying full and full? It's on full. The needle never goes down. It just stays on full and full and full. Wouldn't that be something? Okay, that's what she experienced. In other words, she put him first. And by putting his work first, what happened? She got all her needs met until the drought was over. But then you have this one. Look at this one. I love this one. Uh, this one in... Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, this is Elisha, the prophet, not Elijah, but Sha. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, and Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me. What do you have in your house? And she said, well, thine handmaid had not anything in the house except a pot of oil. Then he said, well, then go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. But when you are coming, thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, shut the door upon her and her, upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There's not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, then he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and live thou and thy rest and thy children off the rest. Now, this is an amazing story. 
This woman put God first. Her husband put God first. Her husband was a servant. And here she's in a predicament because they're going to hold basically their two sons as slaves to pay off the indebtedness. What does she do? What would you have done? Go find as many vessels as you can. Can you imagine going to your next door neighbor and, bought, and you, you borrowed all their vessels? They have vats that they filled up with oil and that, like olive oil and stuff like that. Big vats, water vats, 30-gallon vats and all that. And you bought them all. And then by the went to, to the next house and did the same thing. You borrowed them. And then by the next one, probably them saying, watch out for Mil, uh, Matilda. Matilda. She's coming over to borrow all of you. I don't, I don't get that. Something's wrong with this woman. I don't know what she's going to do with them. She's going to sell them or what? She's going around the whole neighborhood, all abroad, anywhere she can, to find vessels here, there, everywhere. Today, they'd slam the door in your face and say, what in the world are you doing here asking me for all this? She found as many, they found as many as they possibly could, brought them into the house and kept filling them up and filling them up and filling them up. And finally, when the son said there isn't another vessel to be found, so what are we going to do with it? And the prophet just says, it's simple. Just go and sell, sell it all. And you and your sons have a 403B or 401K. You've got a retirement fund. Pay off all your debt and live off the rest. You know what? Think about that just for a moment. God says, you honor me, I will honor you. You provide for my house, I'll provide for your house. It takes faith to do what they did. It takes faith to say, I'm not going to give my starving son the last bit of this cake. I'm going to give it to this man of God over here. Who, is he really a man of God? I don't know. But he said to give it to him, so I'm going to give it to him. And what happens? It never fails. And what happens here, these vessels? This little bit of oil that she had left? It never ran out. Look how simple it is for God to take something that we dedicate and consecrate to him and make it last. Isn't that incredible? So in other words, here's the point. The reason why I don't preach a lot about this is because it's simple. You just read it. Someone says, but you know what? That's Old Testament. Tithing is Old Testament. I'm so glad you said that. Because you know what? Before the law ever came, before the law of tithing ever came, before the law of Moses ever came, before the Mosaic law ever came, before any of that ever came, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Christ having no beginning, no end, no genealogy whatsoever. He's a type of Christ. And if you read Hebrews chapter 7, which is in the New Testament, how about this one? If Jesus is a high priest on the order of Melchizedek, I would say that Jesus is probably more honorable than even Melchizedek was. And in that chapter, chapter 7, it talks about if tithes were given to, to, to Melchizedek by Abraham, how much more is Jesus worthy of our tithe? How much more is he worthy? So we give to him. This wasn't just the law. It was before the law. And in Christ, we've got someone that we can tithe to that's a whole lot better than any of them. We're tithing to supply his need in his church and for his work. Amen. 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 We're going to pick it up next week. And we'll look at the next one next week. But do you get the point? You see, it's up to the person. 
And if you honor him with your substance and the first fruits of your increase, your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses burst out with new wine. So let's all stand together before the Lord.